Hey guys, hope you're doing well tonight. Uh, this is Dwayne from Directional Ministries. Today we're going to continue our study in Daniel chapter number 7. It's been a while since we've done any kind of Facebook Live. Um, uh, so we're going to give it a shot tonight. Uh, hopefully we've got enough backups with the internet and the signal will re remain strong for the remainder of the study. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Daniel chapter number seven daniel chapter number seven last week we started looking at verse number one and we're going to back up a little bit and take a look at that okay daniel chapter number seven verse number one in the first year of belshazzar king of babylon daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters let me check and make sure all the audio is working. Yeah, it looks like it is. That's good. All right. For a bit of an, of an outline here, as we went over last week, chapter 7 through 12 are visions what Daniel had. In chronology, the events of chapter 7 and 8 actually belong between chapters 4 and 5. What happens in chapter 9 happens about the same time as chapter 6. So we need to remember that as we're working our way through the book. And the visions in the final chapters, 10 through 12, take place after the events of chapter number 6. So the first four of the visions in chapters 7 through 12 um, are the most comprehensive. The other three visions deal with the aspects of this vision. So with that out of the way, and we explained a little bit that last week, so I hope that makes sense. If not, go back and look at the study from last week. But notice he says, The first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions upon his head, upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. The sum of the matters. In other words, Daniel could have given us more detail, but the Holy Spirit only wanted him to write the main facts. Though we probably would have liked to see Daniel write more, he just wrote the sum of the matters, which deals with the main facts. And then notice in verse number two, he says, Daniel spoke, spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four uh, winds of heaven strove upon the great sea, and the four beasts came up out of the sea, diverse from one another. The first was like a lion, and it had eagle's wings, and we'll get into that. Notice it says the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. Well, the best way to interpret the Bible is by using the Bible. Some view uh, these as representing satanic forces. Uh, and they'll go over to like Revelation 7-1 where it says, And after these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind would not blow upon the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And then, of course, we know the angels released uh, these demonic forces upon the earth. So some see the four winds as, as representing demonic or satanic forces. Or some see it as simply a reference to God's strength and God's power. The fact that he can hold the four winds. And of course, there's all kinds of verses in the Bible that talks about 
um, the chaff before the wind, let the angel of the Lord chase them. And Psalm 48, 7, thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. So some see it as a reference to God's strength and God's power. But either way, I mean, we're talking about speculation here. And then notice it also says the great sea. Now, the great sea is always referring to the Mediterranean, the Mediterranean uh, that each of these empires border. Um, that is the great sea. When it says the great sea, it's referring to the Mediterranean sea. Now, notice in uh, verse number four, the first was like a lion and it had eagle's wings. And I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon his feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. Now this beast, and now that I have a drawing here that I find interesting, you see these are the, the beasts that Daniel is describing here. And he sees this first beast like a lion. And this lion had wings that were given to it. This beast is majestic in that it is represented by the lion and the eagle. While the lion is the king of the land, the eagle is the king of the air. And Jeremiah used both of these to describe Babylon. And of course, the winged lion was a very prominent figure in Babylonian history. Jeremiah <clears throat> pointed out in Jeremiah 49, 19, Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the swelling of Jordan against the habitation of the strong, but I will suddenly make him run away from her. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? Who's like me or who will appoint me the time? And who is that shepherd that will stand before me? And then notice verse 22. Behold, he shall come up and fly as the eagle and spread his wings over Basra. And at that day shall the heart of mighty men of Edom be as the heart of a woman, of a woman in her birth pangs. So Jeremiah used uh, both the lion and the eagle to describe Babylon. So, however, this kingdom is humbled because we see that its wings are plucked and it was given the heart of a man. And again, this has got to be speaking of the Babylonian Empire, famous for its winged lions. Now notice the second beast here in verse number five. And behold, another beast came up, second like a bear, and it raised up itself on one side and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it and, and said thus unto it, arise and devour much flesh. Now you remember the drawing here, we have the bear and we have those three ribs. Now it's been said that the bear is much less majestic as that it is slow and it's ponderous and it's crushing as compared to the lion and the eagle, which is fast. This one is imbalanced in some way in that it is on its side, but it obviously still has a ferocious appetite. And of course, we know after the fall of the Babylonian kingdom rose uh, the Medo-Persian empire. And Medo-Persia was represented by a bear. So it represents the Medo-Persian empire. Now, many believe that the ribs uh, that are in the, the, the bear's mouth represents the empires that they conquered. And of course, 
the two greatest of which would have been Babylon and Egypt, and of course Lydia. So we see in Daniel's dream, the second beast, this bear that represents the Medo-Persian empire. And then we come to verse number six. And after this, I beheld and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. Now we know historically that the Medo-Persian empire fell to Alexander the Great of the Grecians. And the leopard here that we see with the four heads and the wings, the four wings of a fowl, speak of the speed with which Alexander conquered the entire known world. Um, uh, a leopard on its own can run about 36 miles per hour. And it's known, and of course can't do that for long periods of time, but it is also known for its sudden unexpected attacks. And this one is even more ferocious because it has these four wings. And we see these heads. Now, historically, we know that Alexander had conquered the entire known civilized world by the age of 28. And when Alexander died, and we're not sure how he died, some people think that he died of poisoning, um, he left his empire to his four generals, in a matter of speaking. <laughs> there were four generals around him, Cassander, Cassander Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy who inherited the empire after his death. And of course, they began to fight. And uh, Seleucus and Ptolemy became the strongest of the two. And of course, this led to the eventual rise of the Roman Empire, which leads us to verse number seven, the Roman Empire. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrible, dreadful, and strong exceedingly, and had great iron teeth that devoured breaking pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that was before it, in that it had ten horns. And of course, we see this this beast here. We see this 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 beast that really doesn't even resemble anything. I mean, it's just ferocious. It's dreadful. It's terrible. It's strong. I mean, we can readily see a bear and a lion and a leopard, and we see eagle's wings, and we can see ribs, but this thing, what is it? You know, it's dreadful, it's terrible, it's strong, it's exceeding. No doubt, this is the Roman Empire. Rome ruled the world uh, from around 150 years before Christ until around 450 years after Christ. It was unquestionably the largest, it was the strongest, it was the most unified, it was the most enduring of all of the ancient empires. But Rome was different, and we talked about this last time we were together. Rome was different, it was unique, in that it not only ruled the world uh, physically, but it also came to rule the world spiritually. Not only did you have the Roman Empire, which became the Holy Roman Empire, but you also had the Holy Roman Catholic uh, Church that ruled out of the Roman Empire. So not only did it uh, tame the flesh of men, if you will, but it also tamed the spirit of man. And as such, many of the aspects of the Roman Empire are still around today through the Holy Roman Catholic Church.
many respects, Rome has never lost spiritual control, even though it might have lost political control. And you'll remember when we looked at the the statue, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's statue in Daniel chapter number two, that iron, that the legs were rep represented Rome, and they were made out of iron. And just as the arms represented the Medes and the Persians, so too the two legs, I believe, represent political and spiritual Rome. And of course, the fact that the feet also contain iron in them mixed with clay means to me that elements of the Roman Empire will continue to exist all the way down to the very end. And of course, those elements, I believe, come through uh, the spiritual aspect of Rome. And many would maybe even say even the politically, I mean, our entire system of government is set up on the the republic and and you know the the senate and uh you know our leaders are represented democratically and they represent us through the senate so i mean many would say that even that politically there's an aspect of rome politically but i think more so it's speaking of the spiritual uh, aspect of rome lasting even until the very end um, and I went over some charts with you last time, and I won't do that again, but we, we do see how powerful the Roman church remains to this day. They represent the majority of Christendom today. Um, you know, and it's, you know, I mentioned last time, it's, it's almost unbelievable that God gave this revelation to Daniel almost 600 years uh, before Christ. 600 years. Rome wasn't founded until 150 years before Christ. So all of this was foretold through the dreams, through the interpretations um, as given to by God to Daniel. So almost 400 years before Rome became an empire, 450 years before Rome became an actual empire, it was already prophesied through Daniel, or at least interpreted through Daniel. Now, notice also that it had ten horns. Um, this this beast had horns on its head, very different and distinct from the the other beast. These ten horns represent are the ten toes that we saw in chapter number two, at, on the feet of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of. And these ten horns here in chapter number seven, they're one and the same. Ten horns, ten toes. They represent the same thing. They represent a revived Roman Empire of the last days. You and I are not presently under a empire. Uh, but one day, Rome will come up out of the ashes. And we see that throughout Scripture. Uh, in Revelation chapter 13, verse number one, and I stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having said seven heads and 10 horns and upon his horns, 10 crowns and upon his heads, the names of blasphemy. Those 10, those 10 crowns are talking about that 10 confederated nation, that 10, those 10 kings that will come to power under with the Antichrist. 
And then also over in seven in chapter 17, verse number three, so he carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness, and I saw a woman set upon a scarlet-colored beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And we're going to look at those seven heads because actually the book of Revelation does give the interpretation of those. And we'll talk about that uh, just briefly. Seven heads, he talks about uh, how that five have fallen one is and the other is not yet come that's seven so five have fallen would be referring to uh you would have you would have egypt you would have assyria replaced by babylon and then you had medo-persia and then you had greece so in revelation chapter number 17 it talks about let me let me get over there real quick if i can uh, hadn't planned on doing this, but we can do that. <laughs> Revelation chapter 17. Uh, there you go. Revelation 17. Let me show this to you. Notice it says, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is sitting. And there are seven kings, five have fallen. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and one is and of course john was exiled to the island of patmos under the emperor of rome diocletian diocletian so one is rome and the other has not yet come what's the other the revived roman empire and when he does come he will continue a time and the beast that was and is not speaking of the antichrist he will be the eighth because he will come out of the seven so what we here see here in revelation is a prophecy if you will there's five kings that have fallen one is rome another one's coming revived rome and out of revived rome will come an eighth kingdom which will be under the leadership of the antichrist and we'll talk about that daniel shed some light on that understand that daniel is is to the Old Testament, what Revelation is to the New Testament. And the thing is, you can't understand the book of Daniel without Revelation, and you can't understand Revelation without the book of Daniel. They really do piggyback on each other. You need to know each of them to understand them. So notice in verse number eight, in uh, verse number eight, um, Daniel seven, verse number eight, he says, and I considered the horns. Now notice the horns is what Daniel's attention is being drawn to here. And these horns, like I said, there's 10 of them. And behold, there came up from among them a little one. You remember in the Revelation, it says, um, if you just flip back and forth, it's pretty, uh, you need to track it here. Um, let's see, it talks about, let's see, where's that at? See, it says, there are seven kings, five have fallen, one is, the other's not yet come. And when he does come, he will only tenue a little while. And the beast that was and is not, he is the eighth and is of the seven. That's in essence exactly what Daniel is saying here in verse number eight. When he says, I considered the horns, remember there's 10 of them. And behold, there came up among them another little one. This, I believe, is referring to the Antichrist. 
before whom were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. So it seems here that Daniel is giving a little bit of revelation, if you will, how the Antichrist comes up out of the seventh. He apparently subdues three of the ten kings. He plucks them up by the roots. And behold, in his horn were the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking blasphemous things. So you see, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, is what we're seeing here. So we would never know that without the book of Daniel. Now, I've heard some people say that we need to unhitch our wagons. And I'm giving a quote here from a popular pastor. We need to un unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. I'm not sure what he meant, but how can we unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament? Uh, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament, or the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. I mean, we can't know what one is saying without the other, unless you're just going to make it up. And of course, you know, some do opt to do that, but we would never know exactly how the Antichrist what happened with those 10 kings, unless we read Daniel. He apparently uprooted three of them to take charge. And they ruled with him for a little while, but then he became the eighth. And so he plucks up the three. So it, set, it sheds some light on the book of Revelation. And then notice that he has a mouth speaking great things. Um, now this obviously believe is referring to the Antichrist. He has a mouth, he has eyes like a man speaking great things. Revelation talks about this in Revelation 13 when he stood upon the sand of the sea and he sees this beast rise up out of the sea and he had upon his horns ten crowns and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet was like a bear, and his mouth was like a lion. Does, doesn't this all sound a little familiar to you? And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it had been wounded to death, and his deadly wound is healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And that's another study for another day. But notice it says that, and they worship the dragon that gave the power to the beast. Now, I believe the dragon is referring to Satan. The beast is referring to the Antichrist. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now, some people will say that the deadly wound that was healed uh, could be referring to the revived Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was wounded, but it came back to life. And others will say, No, um, there's an, a, an assassination attempt on the Antichrist's life, and he comes back uh, replicating Christ's resurrection from the dead. But either way, the world is going to wonder after this beast. They're going to worship this beast. They're going to say, who has the power to make war with this guy? And there was given unto him a mouth. Notice the similarities. Speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue for two, three and a half years, 40 and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. So we see that this is the Antichrist speaking great things. Paul also makes a reference uh, to the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
uh, verse number three, uh, when he says, notice, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. And of course, the day that Paul is referring to there is the second coming of Christ, except there be a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. It can't be referring to the rapture of the church because the rapture's got to happen before the Antichrist can be revealed. So this is saying this day cannot come unless there's a great falling away and the man is revealed who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped as God so that he, he as God, excuse me, sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. He believes that he is greater than God. And that's why he speaks great things. Now notice in, uh, now when that word great, that doesn't mean great, like you and I think blasphemous things against God. Now notice in verses nine through 10, and we'll see how far we get tonight. You can see there, I already have a little rabbit tra trail. Uh, I learned from those rabbit trails and I've learned that many of you do too. So we're going to just go on down it. Notice in verse nine, I beheld till thrones were cast down. Now I got a little note here. The words cast down could be better translated established or set up. So I beheld till thrones were set up or established and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and his hair and his head like pure wool, and his throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as a burning fire. Now, these thrones that are set up here, what are these thrones that are set up, and the Ancient of Days then sits down and begins to pronounce judgment? Um, let's read the rest. And a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him and judgment was set and the books were opened. So the book of Revelation tells us who is sitting on these thrones. These thrones that were established the book of Revelation tells us, and around about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders, that's uh, twenty-four, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So while we're not sure who is sitting on these thrones, we do know that the number signifies government in the Bible. And there's a couple of views on who these twenty-four elders are. Some would say that they are literally the 12 sons of Jacob and the 12 apostles of the New Testament combined. So you got the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 apostles, total of 24. Well, I'm not sure about the sons of Jacob, but I do know that Jesus said that the 12 would sit upon thrones. In Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That was a promise given to the apostles. So that would lead me to believe 
for sure that 12 of those thrones are reserved for the apostles. In Luke chapter number 22, And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father has appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So that was a promise given to the house of Israel, or not the house of Israel, but to the apostles that they would sit in judgment of the house of Israel. Now, others say that these represent all of the redeemed from both the Old and the New Testament. Well, again, that's speculation. We're, we're not sure. I, I mean, I, I think it's kind of hard to get around the fact that at least 12 of these guys, per the promises given to them by Christ, are the 12 apostles. And that would not be the Apostle Paul. That would be the 11 plus Matthias. They were the 12 that were sent to the house of Israel. Bear in mind, Paul was never sent to the house of Israel. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He didn't even preach the same gospel as the 12 apostles who went to the house of Israel. He did not preach the kingdom gospel, repent and be baptized. He preached the gospel of grace. So I don't believe, like some would say, that Paul should have been the 12th apostle. No, Paul wasn't even born. Paul hadn't even been converted when when Peter and them chose Matthias. Well, they shouldn't. They should. They should have waited. Some would say, no, they were anticipating uh, the tribulation period and the second coming, and them being able to sit on these thrones. Uh, they acted, I believe, following. Uh, the will of God in that matter. Um, and anybody that would question that, I would question them. Um, either way, in this view, the 12 patriarchs represent those from the Old Testament and the 12 apostles represent those from the New Testament. So, so anyway, some would say 12 of them are sons of Jacob and 12 of them are the apostles. Some would say no, um, the 12 of Jacob represent all of the Old Testament believers. And the 12 apostles are just representative of all the, quote, New Testament believers. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not sure which one it is. I do believe, I, you know, it could be the 12 sons of Jacob. It could be um, the 12 apostles, or it could be representatives, but... If, if the 12 were guaranteed thrones and they, they were really 12 apostles, then I would assume, I would tend to think that the 12 Old Testament ones would not be spiritualized, that they would be physical too. But again, speculation that we could spend a lot of time on this rabbit trail talking about. But this could also be related to 1 Chronicles chapter number 24. Let me show you that. 1 Chronicles chapter number 24 and David distributed them, both Zadak the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech the sons of Ithamar, according to their offices and their service. So this is David dividing up the Levites. And there were more chief men found of the sons of Eleazar than the sons of Ithamar. And thus they were divided among the sons of Eleazar. There were 16 chief men of the house of their fathers and eight of the sons of Ithamar according to the house of their father. So 16 plus 8 is 24. 
So, in these verses, we see that David had appointed 24 elders to represent the entire Levitical priesthood, which at the time, if you study it in context, represented about 38,000 of them at that point. And each of these elders was to represent a group of Levites who were to serve throughout the year for two weeks at a time in the temple. And this division also made it easier to meet with the Levites as that they were representative of the entire group. So instead of sitting down with 38,000 Levites, he could sit down with 24 Levites who represented the 38,000. I mean, this is probably why the number 24 represents government or governmental authority in the Bible. Now, there are those who want desperately to place the body of Christ in this number. And I'll be honest, I used to be one of those. Uh, they will say the, the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 apostles, the 12 sons of Jacob are all the New Testament, Old Testament saints, and the 12 apostles are all the, are symbolic of all of the New Testament saints, and that includes the body of Christ. But, um, well, what about the 12 apostles who were guaranteed thrones? I mean, to me, that's a promise that was made to them. That promise was never made to the church. And I think to try to shove the body of Christ in there, saying that we are sitting there judging the house of Israel, I don't think so. Now, they will point, and I used to point, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Uh, let's go over there. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, where it says, Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world, and if the world shall be judged by you? Are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life? So they would point to this to say, see there, the saints are going to judge the world. So we're sitting on these thrones of judgment represented by the 12 apostles. Now, to be honest with you, um, where I am right now, I'm having a hard time seeing the body of Christ. I don't believe the body of Christ is anywhere to be found in the Old Testament. And I'm also struggling with the term saint because it appears to be referring to Jewish believers and not the body of Christ. Now, I know some of you are saying, oh, well, I mean, go study it for yourself. Um, and here's some verses that you can run with. Ephesians 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus, and the faithful in Christ Jesus. He appears to be separating the Jewish believers from the grace believers, the Jewish believers from the body of Christ. I'll notice also in Philippians 1, 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ, Jesus which, is, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Now, the house of Israel doesn't have bishops and deacons. The body of Christ has bishops and deacons. Why would he separate saints from bishops and deacons? Look in Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brother in Christ, which are at Colossae. He seems to be distinguishing between the two groups. Make what you will of it, but they appear to be different groups of people. 
it appears that saints is referring to Jewish believers. Um, and, of course, Jewish believers that had accepted the Messiah. Um, he, he seems to separate them from um, the bishops and the deacons, the other believers, which would be the body of Christ. Um, now, final thought. Whoever these are, they are judging during the kingdom. You remember when he, he talked about uh, back up here, right here when he said, and I appointed you a kingdom? The kingdom is not for the body of Christ. The kingdom is for the house of Israel. And I've said this before. Um, we are not in the kingdom. We are not advancing the kingdom. The kingdom is not for us. It's for the house of Israel. The house of Israel is an earthly people with earthly promise promises. The body of Christ are, are heavenly people with heavenly promises. Also, um, if you look in, let me show you this. In, in um, Jude, he says, And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lamb cometh with ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment on all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed. Now notice Enoch prophesied, probably the oldest prophecy in the Bible, probably pre-Job, pre and he prophesied of these saints. Again, the, old, the church is not found in the Old Testament. So these saints had to have been referring to Jews. Revelation 2.26, He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Who is Revelation chapter 2, verse number 26 referring to? Jews, not Gentiles. Jews, not Gentiles. And we'll see another clue down in verse number 8. When you come down to our verse number 18, when you get down here, he says, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom. Who is the kingdom for? The house of Israel. It's not for the church, the body of Christ. So I shy away from using the term kingdom now. I know much of the church does that. And the disagreement comes in. The vast majority of the church believes that the body of Christ was born in Acts chapter number 2. I don't believe that. It was born in Acts chapter number 9 because Paul was the first one in. So all of us had to have come after Paul in the body of Christ. And Paul wasn't converted until Acts chapter number 9. Now notice also the Ancient of Days. Now this is a reference to God the Father. And we see the deity of Christ in this because here is a reference to God the Father. But when we get to Revelation, it's a reference to God the Son. And notice here, uh, where were we at? Right here. The Ancient of Days is right here in verses 9 and 10. Notice this description of the Ancient of Days. Garment white as snow, hair like pure wool, fire, uh, his throne like a fire flame, wheels as of a burning fire. But when we get over into, and this is describing God the Father, but when we get over to Revelation chapter 1, verse number 12, I turned and see the voice which spake to me, and being turned, I saw seven 
candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like the Son of Man, look, clothed down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His hair and his hairs were like, his head and his hair were like white wool, as white as snow, eyes as a flame of fire, feet like fine brass, burned in a furnace. So we see Jesus here being referred to as the Ancient of Days in Revelation 1, and God the Father being the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter number 12, I'm um, Daniel chapter number 7. So what we see here is Jesus is God. We see the, the deity here. Daniel has the second coming of Christ in view here. Everything that Daniel is talking about in these verses is going to happen at the second coming of Christ. And we see all of that. When does Christ return? Revelation chapter 19. When the heavens are open, the white horse sets upon him faithful, true, in eyes, flame of fire, and his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew, and his clothed, clothed was with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, and the armies of heaven were following him on white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and notice out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that he should smite the nations. Daniel is seeing the second coming and the judgment taking place. Revelation 20, and I saw a white throne and him that sat on it whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was no, there was found no place for them. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of the things that are written in the books according to their works. This is referring to the great white throne judgment. So Daniel is describing the second coming here and the judgment that will take place. Now in the Bible, there's books. Notice it says the books were opened. There are three books that are mentioned in the Bible. You have the book of the living, in Psalm 69, 28, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. It appears to be just a book of everyone that's still living. And then the book of remembrance in Malachi 3, 16 was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And then we have the book of life. And the book of life is referred through to throughout the New Testament. We see the book of life whose names are written in the book of life. His name, Father, before his angels, I will not blot out his name of the book of life. Revelation 13, 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life. So we see that the books were opened here. And I believe that's where we're going to conclude our study for the day. We've got plenty of text there to go. So we will look at the rest of that the next time that we get together. I hope that you've enjoyed our study. I love and appreciate you guys. And I, uh, I appreciate you listening in and studying the word along with me. I'm learning as much as you are. It's quite an adventure. Um, so I just encourage you to continue studying the word and, uh, uh, all of these studies will be placed on Facebook. They're uploaded to SoundCloud. You can download that app for your phone if you'd rather listen to an audible version of it, an audio version of it. And then also my notes and the YouTube version are on the website at duanesfairman.org as well as on the YouTube channel. So 
encourage you to subscribe to that. I need as many subscribers as I can on that YouTube channel so that I can start live live uh, broadcasting on that eventually someday. So, well, listen, God bless you guys. Hope you have a great evening. Remember how much God loves you and wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.